an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Today on the podcast, I have Katie Drew Jensen, and she is here to tell us about her NDE. Katie had a near-death experience when she was six years old, and she shares how it changed her life. Katie's been an entrepreneur for 35 years, owning medical spas, an aviation company, and now she helps to awaken the speaker within. She is so full of light, love, authenticity. You are going to absolutely love her. So without further ado, here is Katie Drew Jensen. Welcome to the Affiliate Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this podcast, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll get to witness healings as well as hear from my mentors, teachers, and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for the last 14 years. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. Today on the podcast, I have Katie Drew Jensen, and I am so excited to talk to her because she volunteered to share her NDE story, which is a near-death experience, and I'm fascinated by these. So please tell us what your NDE is, how old you were, how it changed your life, please. I have like three interviews set up in the next two weeks, and like this is the gold star all around it. You know, I've kind of dabbled throughout your podcast, and First of all, you have a great, great presence. You have a great voice and you have really interesting people. So I'm excited to listen to all of them. Oh, thank you. I Wow. I really appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you, you know, with your speaker academy and all that. So take a deep breath here. It was a long time ago. I was six years old. Um, wow. I was on the Oregon coast in a little town called Cannon Beach, which I'm sure if anyone's from the Northwest, they'll know exactly where that is. What happened was my two older sisters and I were playing in the sand. It was winter, so we were all bundled up. And it was the day we were leaving, and my mother was in the hotel packing up. And I just remember frolicking and having a a great, great time. And they had these in the winter, especially these side currents that would come out of kind of nowhere. And I was a little six-year-old, so I'm, I'm not really aware of what's going on and being cautious. But, you know, we were in our little boots, and we'd run out as far as we could, and And we run back and I ran out too far and a side current just picked me up and just pulled me out. And it was one of, I think they're called a rip current where they pull you really quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, it was over my head within seconds. And so my older sister was, I remember her yelling at me to get up, but I was underwater and I was struggling, of course, and I have all these winter gear on. So it was heavy. You know, I just remember the, the feeling of just struggle. And a weight, you know, on my chest because I I couldn't breathe. And you know, I'm underwater and I'm trying to figure out in my six-year-old brain, you know, how to get out of the situation. And my sister was trying to help, but she was also battling the waves. And my other sister kind of froze on the beach. She was so scared. And, you know, it was, it seemed like an eternity when you're going through this. And I'm sure it was a matter of seconds, you know, of being underwater and not breathing. And then a very interesting thing kind of happened in the struggle. I knew even at that age that I was going to die and I literally kind of surrendered to it and I let go and I took a deep breath in and it was just this, I felt the water going into my lungs. I felt 
I mean, it was just a second, you know, where again, it seemed like an eternity, but I felt like this crushing sensation, but also this complete calm. And I just remember looking up at my sister and just, I stopped struggling and just my eyes were still open and looking at her and she's screaming and, and then it kind of went to dark, you know, went to black. (laughs) So, wow. Yeah. And then what happened after that? I mean, you know, your mom was packing up the hotel room. I mean, they must've run. What did one of your sisters go run and get her? Yeah. What happened was there was an older gentleman who was looking out the window and was watching this whole scenario. And in order to get to the beach, you have to kind of run down a hall and then down to the beach. And this was all told to me later. Cause what I remember is I woke up in a bath bathroom on the floor and everyone was, you know, screaming and crying and there was you know, seaweed and salt and my throat's killing me and I'm coughing. And the weird part, well, I'm getting ahead a little bit, but the, how I got into the bathroom was apparently this man came running down into the beach. And luckily, I mean, he was able, he didn't know CPR. My sisters didn't know. And he picked me up and he carried me and he's like, where's your mom? And, you know, I'm completely, you know, without oxygen. And the weird thing is, it was probably my mother had said later, she thought it was probably 15 to 20 minutes. (gasps) Holy moly. That is the weird part of the story. (laughs) And maybe why I don't share it a whole lot, because I mean, I might have a couple screws loose here, but I have a a small medical background. And we all know that after so many minutes, your brain starts to, you know, shut down. There really wasn't a huge explanation. My mother was a nurse. And luckily she knew, you know, CPR and she, and she revived me, she saved me, but it really probably shouldn't have happened. You know, when you think about that time, do you believe that you crossed over? I mean, what happened for you? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. I've actually asked myself, cause I, you know, I think as a child and after all these years, you sort of have these different kind of visions in your head. What happened more was afterwards, I don't remember in the moment. I do remember feeling completely calm. I do remember feeling like this was it. And I remember feeling really old. <laughs> like I remember feeling like hmm. I I think that I've got this. I went from like a 6-year-old little girl playing with like no real memory of like anything wise or whatever and and I remember feeling sad for my mom. Hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, this is really going to make her sad. But afterwards, and this was a part that I didn't talk about much because I didn't really understand it when you're a child. You don't really understand what's going on. Mm. My poor mother, she used to hear me talking to all these people when I was alone in my room. She thought I was nuts. And so she literally, she took me to a psychiatrist and said, you know, she's talking to nobody. And now that I am older and I've been through so much self-discovery and I've had time to really ponder all this for all these years, I, I can't help but think that these were my angels. I mean, I just can't because it never happened before and it only happened right after and it happened uh-huh. for kind of a short time. So, I mean, I don't know exactly, but I know intuitively that that's really what it felt like. And, and they were several of them and we were all just very comfortable being in the room together. (laughs) So, wow. I, you know, and, and it's funny because my mom, she was so afraid of what was going on with me. I thought it was bad. So I didn't want to share with her what we were talking about or what was going on because to me it was so real. And so that was the part that, you know, I don't really remember in the moment, like a crossover, like a bright light. And you know what I've heard a lot of people talk about, but it happened literally afterwards. And I remember kind of, and this is sort of just my recollection of being told about intuition, 
which I can tell you a little bit more about, but it increased significantly after that incident. Wow. And, you know, again, these are all things that kind of came together later where Mm. I felt, oh, that's why it happened. You know, because at first you're just like, well, why do these things happen? I mean, if you're one that believes that things happen for a reason, you have to find that reason, right? right? And to me, I just thought, well, I was just an unlucky, you know, kid on the beach. All of the subsequent things that I went through afterwards, it always would bring me back to that incident and tie it together, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Your poor mother, holy moly, and your sisters. My oldest sister was the one that was, you know, I felt sorry for my middle sister because everyone was like, why didn't you help her? And she was just frozen in fear. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and my older sister was quite a bit older. She's eight and a half years older. So, you know, she felt guilty that she couldn't drag me out of the ocean and there was no way. I mean, it was a really violent surf, you know, but we've talked about it a couple of times. She's, she's pretty quiet. We haven't gone incredibly deep about it. Just that thank God she was there because between her and that man that ran out, you know, I would have been completely washed out to sea. So for anybody who's experienced something similar, I definitely recommend EFT. You know, if you've watched something like that because of the traumas stored and, you know, you'll remember it for a lifetime if you don't move out that energy and trauma and memories. I do recommend that for them. If by the way, <laughs> and I've used, I've used that technique. Oh, I'm, cool. a, you know, I'm an NLP practitioner too. So I've kind of, you know, woven some of those trainings into some trauma with myself and my clients, because I think that, you know, we can all learn from each other and our experiences. Right. Yeah. So you were talking to angels when you were growing up for like, how long did it ever end or? It did. And and I think that, you know, it's just talking to my daughter about this. It's unfortunate that we, the outside circumstances in our life as we get older, will sort of shut down these innate gifts that mm-hmm. we have. As, as a child. And I always remember feeling pretty intuitive, but it really kicked into gear so much so that I really panicked my parents. And it was around probably my early teens that I just decided that I, I didn't want to scare them anymore with this intuition that I had, because I was literally bringing up things going back to when this happened. And then I was, you know, talking to this, whether they're imaginary people or my angels or whoever, but I remember just like being very comfortable about these are gifts. These are gifts. You can help people through intuition. And on one particular case, not long after that, I was probably, I don't know, second grade or something like that. It was 4th of July. We were all outside. We're doing our little sparklers. My grandfather, who wasn't there, basically came to me right in front of me and was waving goodbye. I was so sad. And I'm like, do you have to go? And I remember having a conversation and he's like, I do. And as he kind of drifted away, I said, dad, I have to tell you that grandpa just died. (gasps) Yeah. Everyone drops their sparklers. We're all outside. (laughs) I mean, everyone's like, Katie's possessed. And the windows are open in the house. And I just remember the phone ringing. And they all like looked at the phone and look or looked at the house and looked at me, went in and it was my grandmother telling my dad. Oh my gosh. And they really looked at me like I was just the devil. And so I think it was around that time I started to think, oh, you know, that's not a good thing. Like mm. I shouldn't have shared that, but it was so real. I couldn't, I couldn't not, you know, share it. You know, I was right. sad and I just had to let him know. And, and I had a lot of those types of kind of incidences and there's maybe that's why I didn't talk a whole lot about what happened to me is because my parents didn't really want me to talk about 
I don't know if it was, you know, I was a bad parent letting my daughter near the ocean. I don't know what the whole, you know, reason, but I just remember my mom was like, you know, these are private things that you don't really share. And then with the whole intuition, they're like, whoa, (laughs) what's going on? I mean, they were very religious and I think it went against their religion. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's hard. So how, so you have children, did you raise them to be more open like that? Yeah, I did. And especially my, my daughter and both my kids are pretty intuitive, but when my daughter was really, really young, she had very similar sort of, I call them gifts, you Mm -hmm. know, for, for one thing. And I hadn't even really thought about this for a while, but my nephew is special needs and he doesn't speak. And my daughter would always, and and she's a year younger. And so when they were really little and she was like, you know, three or four years old and he was a year older, she would run to me and my sister and tell us what he wanted. And we're like, how do you know that? And she's like, he told me. And we're like, hmm, okay. And it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think children, like I said, I do believe, and I've worked with a lot of children and of course raised my own and, and been around a lot of children. And I just love their openness to receive how they can help others by having these types of gifts. You know, it's just natural for them to be loving and intuitive and and use those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a six-year-old son and we walk the line, you know, with what we share with him and I don't want to plant anything in his head. You know, I want it all to come naturally for him. But yeah, sometimes it is kind of, even for me, who's so open with it, you're like, okay, so you have, you can do this healing work, but you have to ask and, you know, you have to check to make sure that they're okay with it. You know, it's it's really sweet that he wants to always do it, but he knows he can freely do it with us. Well, I think that's it too. Like having you so open and like you said, you don't plant seeds, but you cultivate it by, Mm -hmm. you know, allowing them to have the freedom you know, to explore whatever their gifts are. And it could be a full range of things. And I do think that there's a scale of intuition that we all have. And, you know, it's just all over the board, but it can be cultivated by the right environment. Yeah. Very cool. Six years old is such a wonderful age. It really is. He's really super cool. And the other day he asked me, what's a soul? So we wow. went over that. Yeah, he's asked me a couple of times. And, and it's interesting in the beginning of COVID, we lost our dog, Jake. And then he was like, oh, I think I know where he went. And he was like, oh, he's going to come back like as something else. He's going to come back. And then there was actually a red pepper on the counter. And he's like, like a red pepper or something like that. (laughs) And I was like, that is really cute and probably true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes like when he's walking on our hikes, he'll be like, oh, Jake's with us. And he'll, you know, be like, he's really enjoying the hike. You know, it's really cute. So we just encourage it, you know, and, and I remember one time I was freaked out that he, he came downstairs and he was like, mom, there's a, a boy playing with me in my bedroom and he had to leave. And, and I said, okay. And I was like, you just woke up though. And he was like, yeah, we were playing. And then I came downstairs, he jumped into the portal and I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. like and I, so later on I was like, so where's this portal that he jumped into? And he pointed to where a, por- a, por- a part of his room. And I was like, Wow. <laughs> Um, I gotta so, hang out with your son. He I know, right? Fun. <laughs> he's he's cool. He's a cool. He's so loving. But anyway, so so basically, you use these gifts for a while, and then it kind of got shut down, which is what happens for most of us. You know, you went on later in life as an entrepreneur. Like you, I'm sure you use these gifts, right? You know, to kind of follow your heart, move in the right direction. And I remember you saying you you help people move through fear. So I really am curious yeah. about that. 
Well, it's interesting, again, like you don't always connect, you know, why things happen and then why you're here. You know, what am I here for? We're here for such a short time that it makes sense that you have these reminders, whether it be almost drowning or something else that, you know, that will wake you up to really who you're here to serve. And, you know, it started like I had shared about my babysitting thing, you know, when I was a very young budding entrepreneur, but I always loved children and I loved playing and I loved helping and I was kind of the one, you know, it was funny because I'm the youngest out of a bunch of kids. And my mother said that, and I was really teeny growing up, like unusually small. And when she would come pick me up at daycare after work, she said she'd, I'd always have the biggest kid on my lap rocking it. He was like, you know, he was crying or whatever. And I'm just like, it's okay. You know, and, and I've always been pretty nurturing and loving with children, but it, it did creep into the work that I've done. And again, I think it's just sort of innate sometimes that whether that happened or not, but I have a feeling that all of that brought me to wanting to care and ease people's fears. And, you know, the biggest thing too, like I went into nursing when I was in my early twenties and then decided I wanted to take that more into an entrepreneurial, you know, place. So I opened up a chain of medical spas and then I had the people that were smarter and more educated than me, all these different physicians working for me. So, you know, I could kind of do what I wanted in my vision, but it was always about helping and serving and easing people's fears. And my mother was very loving. You know, she was a nurse for many, many years and, you know, she helped start Head Start in our state and she loved children. She always was kind of an advocate for people that didn't have the means to have a lot in their life or proper health care way back when, before it was, you know, kind of an issue. And so I'm sure that that trickled into my life, you know, just that's why we're here is to serve. You know, my father, I think in Washington state, he has the most hours of hospice volunteering to date, you know, he, wow. yeah, he, he, he got cancer very, very young and decided he wanted to retire early and just kind of serve and help people. And I think when you're around that, as a parent yourself, I'm sure that you know that the more love and, and, you know, really it's what they see us do, you know, we, we teach by example, that all sort of, I'm sure molded me to, to I, who I am. But, but there was something too, that as I got older, I've had a lot of people die around me. And it's always been like, that's not fair. Why am I still here? Why didn't I die that day? Why, you know, so I feel like I was given a gift, and you need to use it you know, before it's my turn to check out, you know, it's, right. and I, and I do feel like that has hit me the older I get, I don't want to waste a day. I don't want, you know, if I need to touch someone today, where is that person? I don't want to, you know, sit around and wait. They're not going to come to me. I need to find the person I'm here to touch. And, you know, I think that all of it has shaped that, but that incident really, I go back to it a lot. Yeah. You must feel so lucky. Like the one that was picked, you know, to stay. I do feel lucky. That was the biggest thing. I mean, basically, I feel like I did die. And then somehow, someone, (laughs) whoever that was said, Nope, she's not done yet. (laughs) But I've actually had like a, a horrific car accident. And I should not have lived through that either. So there's been a couple of things that have happened since and I'm like, wow, I got a lot of work to do because somebody wants me here to do something. <laughs> and, you know, well, you, you are doing amazing work now. I know that you have the speaker Academy and you help people find their purpose and then talk about it and, and, you know, share their message. So that's a wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's a big love. And, you know, it's funny. I, when I first started it, I was like, I know how to craft a talk and I know how to monetize that talk, but really the, the underlying part of that is the people that are really afraid to share their message, like doing this, like what you do, getting people to talk about their story, 
that's really the, the, the whole foundation of it. Cause anyone can learn how to maybe get on stage or get online and, and present something That's a whole different thing than sharing something personal to help others. Mm. And, you know, that's, again, that's why I just love what you're doing here because it's a platform for people to feel safe and to be able to share something that's going to touch other people. Thank you. Yeah. It's so important. And it's, I had to do a lot of work in order to start this podcast. Let me tell you, I I feel like I had many coming outs prior to, and then eventually I was just like, you know what, it's just harder to keep this light dim or, you know, contained than it is just to be put it all out there and just say, you know, this is what I can do. This is what I've experienced. And I want to help other people to share what they've been going through. You know, we all go through dark nights and it sounds like, you know, one of your, obviously one of your dark nights was when you were six. And then when you went through the car accident and we all get through those times and we forget that sometimes. And it's important to remind people that you can get through those dark nights. And not only that, usually it turns into something amazing, right? You know, when you lose everything, you realize what's important, right? So I am so curious. I know you have the Speaker Academy, but before that you had a charter company with airplanes. <laughs> so yeah. like that is so bizarre to me and cool. It, it's random. I know. So I feel like I've lived my life in decades and, you know, I kind of had like the mom decade in my twenties. I was pretty young when I became a mom. And then I went through kind of a, a traumatic split and, and not long after my children's father passed away. And so it was just me. And I decided to kind of use that medical background. And then that's when I started the, you know, having these little spas and it was brand new back then. I mean, Medi spas were just like, what is that? And so it was really fun. And then after 10 years of that, I sold that company and thought, hmm, now what? At the time I was married to a pilot and I've always loved aviation. It's always been in kind of my DNA. My brother was a pilot. And I remember going up with him the first time when I was like eight years old we made a big shift. We left Seattle, Washington and moved to a tiny little snow village, Telluride, Colorado, and started this air, you know, private air charter company with one aircraft. And I, you know, I owned it. My husband was my chief pilot. We had two other pilots and it was a blast. I mean, it was such a fun endeavor. It was scary as hell. I mean, I'm sorry. I shouldn't probably say that. Oh, no, no. We're explicit. Okay, good. It was scary. A big leap of faith. You know, both my kids were like, what are you doing? You know, and I was ready for a change. And and that is interesting too. When I look back on that, it was time to sell my business, my medical spas, because when you start to lose some of that passion, it's going to trickle down to your clients and to your Mm. employees and to your teams. And I was just ready. I was ready for a change. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, again, working with the FAA was brand new. I didn't know what I was doing. I learned quickly <laughs> how how to do that, but everything was was wonderful. And and then the recession hit, and it was you know luxury businesses were hit pretty hard, and one of the first ones. So you know, two thousand nine was an eye opener. And speaking of when you said you know when you lose things and how that can change you and you don't realize it at the time because you're going through grief, whether it's with a loved one or with a business or whatever it is, but really what that will do for your next chapter. And at the time, after 16 years of marriage, pressure got to both of us and he really had a hard time with the struggle of what we were going through. And so our marriage was deteriorating. I had to move quickly. I just bought a second plane. It was a little jet. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? My overhead was, you know, off the charts. And so that was a big transition. And I kept it going for a couple of years and I was able to sell that company too. But talk about a humbling experience. 
Hmm. and having to revert back to nothing is in our control. And that was the whole lesson. I feel that that whole incident when I was six years old really taught me was on, I think I shared with you, I'm a bit of a control freak. (laughs) And when I go into that, you know, freakishness of like, this is all me, I can control it. Then I, I go back to that and absolutely not, nothing's in our control. And so I really had to kind of embrace the fact that I lost a ton of money I lost my ego. I, you know, I was barely getting by. I had a second job. My daughter was going into college. I had to, you know, I was alone again. I was, you know, all of these things were happening. Another lesson and really what that did was make me a heck of a better mentor and a better coach because, you know, I was just, again, this is a pun, but flying high, you know, I had such a great life going. And when you were shattered that severely, I mean, I lost probably 80% of everything I'd worked for, for 25 years. And it makes you just empathetic to everybody's story. It's not just your small little world, you know, it's everybody out there and how can I help them, you know, ease their fears and make their life a little better. So that's why I went into coaching. Wow. (laughs) That's really tough. I bet you're pretty glad that you don't have an aviation business right now. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It, yeah, it, that was a life. It was a lot of fun and a lot of fear. Did you, were you, when you had that business, were you taking around like celebrities or were you, yeah, cool. Oh, had a lot of, you know, when you, cause really our circle was like Aspen, Bale, Telluride, and then we're bringing in like second homeowners, you know, for different festivals or events or whatever. And yeah, I have, I have some really wild stories about a lot of, you know, musicians and you know, Hollywood celebs. <laughs> Are you allowed to tell any of them? Um, I think about that a little bit more. So is there anything you would tell people who are afraid to die? You know, I can't speak for everybody. I can speak from my own experience. And I think I have had a lot of people pass away in my life. I mean, my parents are both gone. My best, best friend died way too young, just a few years ago. That was a rough one because she was 10 years younger than me. I was so angry, you know, and, you know, it was interesting because she gave me such a gift of a reminder of release and surrender. And as emotional as it was, oh my goodness, she was such a, and she still is in my life, such a bright light. I mean, I hear her laughter every day. I think of her every day when I'm struggling with something, I think of her. And, and I think that having a near death experience, you just know, this is so temporary. And there has to be more. And that because it's not in our control, you might as well just live every day to the fullest and just enjoy the moment because that's really, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, which it kind of is, but it's all we have, mm-hmm. you know, and being someone who is a control freak, which I've learned to, to, you know, temper for sure. That has been my biggest gift from that experience and my biggest lesson to share with others. You know, because I have a tendency of kind of living in the what ifs, like maybe I made that wrong decision with that business and, oh, why did I do that or whatever? It doesn't matter. You know, everything is just here and now. And tomorrow doesn't really matter yet either. It will tomorrow. (laughs) But as far as the fear aspect of going through something like that, you know, I, I do believe in a higher power and that's different for everybody. I can't imagine this is it. And I feel like I've talked to my mother from beyond and my best friend, and I feel like they're just right here. They're just just out of our reach, but they're right here. And that is a comfort. That is a comfort because we all are going to go. So if you dwell too much or if you have an unusual fear of that, it's just going to prohibit you from enjoying today in this moment. Mm-hmm. 
And I love that you talk about how it's just not in our control when we go. And a lot of times we spend our time trying to manipulate everything in our environment to be the way that we want it to be, but then we miss the moment because <laughs> we're in, you know, trying to orchestrate everything, right? You just seem like somebody who really follows her heart, you know, and and that's something that I think you learn probably from your experience where it's just like you live in the moment and that's your heart, really. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My parents, they were both born in the 1920s and a very different time, obviously. And they were very quiet and a little more conservative. And I remember my mother always saying, Oh, you wear your heart on your sleeve, you're gonna get hurt, da 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 da, you know. And and she was pretty pragmatic and you know, a very private woman. And I always fought it, you know, I just felt like I can't be me if I don't, you know, I mean, I've cried with clients, I've definitely cried with friends and my children. And, and I'm pretty real when it comes to, you know, that emotion. And sometimes that's uncomfortable for people. And, and that's okay. You know, I think I know when to kind of back off a little bit, but I'm really appreciative to hear others stories and what makes them tick and what brought them like the questions you're asking me today. It's really fun for me to share it. But it's, you know, as much, if not more fun to hear, how did you get here? And what's your story? And tell me about that. And, you know, because everyone's been through adversity, everybody has had something, Mm -hmm. and it really has molded them into the unique person that they are today. And that to me is the, the most beautiful thing that we can look at, especially now with so much division in our world, and everything is going on, and social media is a mess, and all of that is just to have empathy. Because, you know, if someone is lashing out, hurt people, hurt people, right? And I think that we just need to have that sort of compassion and love for people that we don't even know and realize that they're hurting or they wouldn't act this way, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, I've even had, not, not often, but, you know, maybe a friend or even, I've even had a client that has been difficult or, you know, was acting harshly or whatever. And I just had to sit back and let it go. And then ask a question, what, what happened? Why, Mm -hmm. you know, why is this happening? And what made you hurt so badly? And boy, did that open up the communication instead of what I think is a natural thing these days, especially through social media, where you're not face to face. And so you can type anything that can be mean, you know, you just lash out without asking questions. And if anything right now, all of us like yourself, who are what I call light workers and doing amazing things, if we can share anything out into the world, it's just be curious and be compassionate. I have on my desk a big question mark. Oh, I love it. Because I always am curious. I'm always asking questions. But speaking of what you were just talking about with her people, her people, that was a conversation that I had yesterday with my son because he's little. He's like, oh, I would beat them up if they hurt you. And I said, you know what? If somebody hurt me, it'd be because they got hurt. And he's like, you're right. So then he then he started thinking, you know, he's got this little mind that goes and he's like, so so what they really need is for us to really love them. And and and, and I was like, that's right. It's compassion. We want to, you know, love them and say, I'm sorry that you experienced that. And you know, yeah. I don't want to do that back to you. And so he knows mastery of love about spitting poison. He goes, oh, so you're spitting poison. They're spitting poison at you. I say, guess what t- gets rid of that poison is love. So, right. you know, it was, this is just a conversation we had right before bed. <laughs> that is so wild. What a wise little soul you're he's raising. Really, he's really cool. He actually keeps me on my toes a lot and my wife, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is pretty funny. <laughs> Well, it's interesting too, because my son just was visiting and he's my baby. He's 27. My baby, I can't even believe it. He's like six, three. And he came with his girlfriend for, for Thanksgiving. And, you know, we would have this interesting conversation. I mean, they never, they never change. by the way, your son's six and mine's, you know, 20 years older. 
And we had this very in-depth conversation about a single mom raising, not that you're a single mom, but you know, a, a woman, feminine energy raising a boy and how they really, and this could be a whole different conversation, but you know, his girlfriend had asked what happened when he just needed to be like that rough and tumble and he needed a dad and needed that. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. We both have feminine and masculine energy. And I really cultivated both raising my son because I knew I had to do that for him, you know, Mm -hmm. but what was beautiful about it is that, you know, there's so many men out there that teach, like you said, like that rough and tumble and, you know, just smack him in the face and stuff. (laughs) And when you have evolved parents, whether they're male or female, doesn't matter showing, especially our boys, that there Mm -hmm. are different and better ways to handle conflict. You know, we can teach our girls that a little bit easier, I think, but with our boys, they feel like they have to be like the physical. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really beautiful. And we need more of that. We need more men that are sensitive to emotion versus just, you know, fight it out. Yeah. We call them our evolved meatball. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Cause he, he is very rough and tumble and there are men in his lives, in his life that he can do those things with. We also do it. Like I'll take him outside and he'll play a goal and I'll shoot hard on the goal. And he loves it. He's like, oh, man, you know, like, <laughs> but he loves it. So yeah, there is that delicate balance, you know, obviously yeah. of trying to nurture both sides. But yeah, he's got a good balance of male and female energy, which he was actually just asking us recently about. And my wife, it was my wife that got the question. She's like, oh my God, help, 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 where's Amy? <laughs> she just didn't want to have to answer the question. Like she just was like, this is a tough one and I don't want to say the wrong thing. So anyway, those, just, those don't stop. I mean, yeah. have adult kids and they're still asking uncomfortable questions sometimes. And I'm like, Oh boy. All right. <laughs> oh, I love becoming a parent. It's I'm one of like the coolest things, adventures you can go on. Right. And then I was thinking just today, I'm like, wow, people who have more than one kid, I think about this actually a lot, yeah. but like, cause actually you were saying you're one of many kids in a family. How many kids are in your family? There were five. Yeah. Well, my sister, um, one of my sisters died very early on, but yeah. So my mom basically, I was one of four if you, yeah. get to Okay. Yeah. I'm one of six. So I definitely understand the big family, you know, mentality yeah. and what goes on <laughs> the chaos. Yeah. And, stuff. and there were always other kids. I don't know where they came from. Sometimes they were just like neighborhood kids would be living in our house. I was like, mm-hmm. that was it's- different then. Yeah, it was definitely different then. And and it it was kind of that mentality of like, what's the difference between one dog and six, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) um, it's sort of like that, you know, and and there was a lot less overseeing what we were doing, you know, like, I would be gone all day long. And it's just amazing that that was no cell phone. Yeah, yeah. You just would come back for dinner. And you were yeah, there. exactly. The, the sun was setting. And my mom had did this whistle in the neighborhood. And we all knew that we had to come home, like with our fingers. Like that was it. Wow. Um, it was so old school. Anyway, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I've, I've loved hearing your story and all your wisdom. And I know that you're helping people to share their message. And there's nothing better than that. You know, we all struggle and we all need to hear the other people are have gone through things like this, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Well, it's been so much fun and what an honor to be here chatting about this. I love it. So is there anything else that you wanted to add before I... I'm definitely loving the fact that, I mean, you're doing, I feel like this year it's crucial. There's so much, you know, alone isolation. And, and of course that just raises a fear level. And, you know, I think really, if anything, reach out, if you're hurting and reach out for someone If you are pretty healthy for today and you feel like there's someone that needs you, reach out to them because, 
you know, I, I've always had children around me. I'm single now. I've been isolated, you know, so I really, myself, I've reached out to people and say, Hey, I really just need to talk. I just need a little conversation. And there's so many people that need that right now. That's just adding to their own fear of what this year kind of, you know, did to their lives. Mm. So if I could add anything, I think it would just be always think, you know, of other people right now, because it will come back to, you know, it's, it's the karma, you know, it's, I, I truly believe that when you give the gift of your time and love to someone, it just fills you up with so much more. Mm-hmm. You are a beautiful person. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad you. I met you. Me too. This is awesome. I love meeting you. This is great. All content provided by Amy Stark and her guests on the Ophelia Podcast website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, were created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist. 